Welcome to the Intentional Clinician Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Krauss, licensed professional counselor. On today's show, returning to the show, Adam Nash, LPC. Finally. He is no longer an LLPC and is now fully licensed in the state of Michigan, so check him out. We are going to be discussing the topic of masculinity and the shadow, or the dark side, of being a man. But ladies and Everyone else out there, non-binary, don't worry. You are also included in this because everyone has a shadow. But being men, we're going to kind of give our perspective um, about being a man and how the shadow affects us. And for those of you out here who are wondering, what are you talking about? Are you talking about when you walk down the street and the sun is out and you look behind you, there's the shadow? Because I already know about that from... Uh, physics class or whatever. No, this is not what we're talking about. We're talking about the psychology of the shadow. And so I guess, Adam, uh, what in the world is the shadow? Yeah. So first of all, I'd like to say, I I would argue too about the, you kind of mentioned women in this uh, podcast as well. And I would say for me, I think we're going through the lens of men because in general, men hide their shadow just a little bit more aggressively than Women, not that women don't hide it, but the the way that it comes out in men is much more aggressive, is which I, what I would say. So we'll get into that a little bit later. That's why I think we're kind of talking about it through this lens. Um, as far as what the shadow is, the shadow is something that was first formed by uh, Carl Jung, who is a uh, psychiatrist, I think technically, and a psychoanalyst from a long ago. He worked with uh, Sigmund Freud. And he kind of like started looking at what Sigmund Freud was doing and he was trying to figure out what the unconscious is a little bit more and how we hide the unconscious. And he came up with this idea of the shadow, which is kind of the parts of ourselves that we keep hidden would be the best way that I could kind of quickly describe it. Yes, and even going further, um, some people who have read Carl Jung's work believe that you actually keep it hidden on purpose sometimes, but there's even like a darker shadow, which is a bunch of stuff that you don't even know is hidden at all. Yeah. So there's kind of two parts to the shadow in that way, probably even more. Um, And yeah, essentially Jung and Sigmund Freud split. Um, Jung was a medical doctor back then. um, You know, I guess they called him a psychiatrist eventually, but there wasn't even really psychiatrists at the time. Um, They were, he, and he did a lot of scientific study, but uh, Freud was obsessed with some theories that were later proven to be false about how sexuality dominated everything, and that's just not true. It is obviously one lens to look at things, which is interesting, and you, and Freud did come up with some really good concepts of um, ego and superego and id, and, but again, these are all philosophical concepts, ways of looking at the psyche and the, and the mind and the body. Um, and of course, Jung was famous, and Freud respected him for this developing the term uh, complex. Yeah. Um, which probably we can't f- fully go into, but uh, which is a cluster of traits that come into existence when certain, I guess we would call them triggers today or cues, bring them up, and then you 
you automatically go into a certain line of behavior or thinking, which is your complex, and people's complex sort of follows them around, um, just like the shadow. So coming back to the shadow, um, this thing that you had a quote from Jung, which is, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will end up calling it fate. Yeah, so one of the things about the shadow is that since it's this kind of like uh, hard-to-see area, I wouldn't even say necessarily always hidden, but this hard-to-see area, then what happens is is that when the shadow, when something happens out of the shadow, you end up being like, oh, what what happened? Like, where did this come from, right? Um, it's almost like it kind of can sneak up at, on you at times. And so then that's kind of where Carl Jung is saying like, that's when you're going to end up calling it fate, right? You're going to look back and you're going to be like, this thing happened. Like, let's give an example. You know, you're uh, in a relationship with this great girl and then something happens that it just turns down and just goes bad. And you're like, oh, well, she wasn't the one. It's like, well, yeah, probably. But also you screwed up the th- the whole relationship because you never like addressed that kind of dark hidden area of yourself. And so whenever she would try and like look at that dark hidden area, you'd push her away kind of thing. It's, so that's kind of like, I think a concept in that of just like, um, how we look at stuff from our hidden areas and our shadow and be like, well, it's just fate. That's just the way things going to happen every single time. Yeah. It's very easy to blame fate. Um, and that way you don't have to look at your part in uh, a breakup or an incident. And we don't, we often, you know, when you're developing your ego as a man, I know the first podcast we did um, late earlier this year was on the second half of life and men kind of going through this death cycle mm-hmm. before they can be reborn into a, a, a man who uh, actually owns a lot of his elements versus trying to just be ego driven all the time, uh, which can lead to, you know, which is good because it can help you with your identity, but then bad with the ego takes over. So I think a lot of times um, when we are doing shadow work, it's very difficult even for people that have been working on killing their ego off and trying to become yeah. more, I don't know, balanced as a person, because then you keep getting surprised that this stuff is in there. But also, it's not like the it's not our job really to get rid of it. It's our job to kind of explore it. So we'll get into that. But another definition by Carl Jung was hidden or unconscious aspects of oneself, both good and bad, which the ego has either repressed or never recognized. Mm -hmm. So we've kind of talked about the both of those. It, It doesn't it doesn't mean that it's bad necessarily. Like the the shadow is bad. It it could be a motivator that you aren't even aware of. That's kind of um, happening without your knowledge. Um, it's hidden from you. Yeah. Well, and one of the things even too, that's kind of confusing, I would say about the shadow and the idea of the shadow from Carl Jung is like, you can have good things or good ideas, almost even a way that are kind of hidden down in there. And what that leads to is, so for example, lots of, um, Lots of kids get told, like, uh, specifically boys get told stuff like, you know, don't cry, be strong, right? Okay, well, there's a benefit in being able to be strong, and so you kind of hide that, but what that ends up doing is because it's hidden, it ends up resulting in you not even realizing, like, you can't cry or you can't show emotion because somewhere along the line, you were told, like, boys don't cry, right? And so if you don't address that and you don't realize it's there, then you can't move forward. And that kind of comes back to that idea of fate is then when things get screwed up, you just go, well, 
it's fate. It's supposed to be that way, right? Is that you kind of following that? Yeah, things happen for a reason, and I don't know what it is, but I didn't have anything to do with it. So, yeah, the, when you mean by get can't get move forward, if you don't know why you don't cry, is because that could be a. a I guess, a harbinger of future problems. If you are emotionally unbalanced and don't understand when you're sad or angry or mad, Mm -hmm. and then you work on getting in a relationship with somebody who understands their emotions, uh, that's a very unbalanced relationship. And you may become dependent on the other person to be your emotional sort of lifeline instead of dealing with your own emotions. And if you don't deal with your own emotions, we kind of talked about this, um, men can become aggressive or depressed, mm-hmm. usually are the two. Um, obviously, anxious and other things can happen. And symptomology uh, starts to spring up, um, which men hate to talk about. <laughs> um, and also, continually, we'll get into this, projected onto women and men that they see as not as manly as them. Yeah, or um, more manly than them. Or more manly, they'll project these sort of ideas. And we'll get into what projection is in a minute, but I think we got to kind of make sure we understand the shadow fully. Yeah. Um, uh, you, were, you were writing here that uh, Carl Jung believed that in order to become a healthy person, one must learn about their own shadow. Otherwise, they will continue to live their life with a, quote, mask on, hiding parts of themselves from o- themselves and others. And I think that's very true. Um, yeah, so if you also look at, like, he, you know, the, the shadow is kind of like, it's very similar to, like, the unconscious, but it's not the exact same thing. And so if you're kind of hiding stuff in the shadow then or stuff is hidden in the shadow then you're kind of living with this like mask on trying to avoid anybody seeing the shadow right so it's like uh you've ever heard the term skeletons in the closet it's kind of like that idea of like i'm going to keep stuff kind of in this area right like carl jung said whether intentional or unintentional right so you may have stuff like i got a big front closet in the apartment i live in and there's stuff in that closet when the day comes that I move, I'm going to find stuff and I'm going to be like, holy crap, I did not even know that was still there, right? So that's kind of like the unconscious repression. And then there's like the conscious decision of like, you know, I know that I have my tennis racket in there that I haven't used in three years, you know? So that's like, I have intentionally been like, I'm hiding that. And that's much the same thing we do with our psyche is we will either unintentionally get stuff hidden or intentionally be like, I want to hide this behind my mask, okay? And that, that's when we get into um, persona, which we're going to get into, I think, in a minute. And just kind of like the idea of like having this hidden part of ourselves that we don't want other people to see. Yeah, and I think um, in closing, again, it doesn't matter if you did it on purpose or the culture made you hide things or you just – things just crept in there that you haven't dealt with. Um, the shadow – everyone has a shadow. So that's another thing. Every human has some type of shadow, hidden aspects they aren't aware of, and that affects their behavior and thought process. And it can affect every part of your life, sexual side of your life, the spiritual side of your life, the uh, the way that you think that you're logical, your political viewpoints, um, your relationships, and even into things like addiction and eating and distraction and um, problems with goal setting, issues with career, problems with boss, problems with coworker. Mm. I mean, this affects everything. Yeah. It affects literally everything because if you're unaware, then you don't have control 
as much control. Like we, we want to have control, but sometimes our ego tricks us into thinking we have control when actually our ego is, is, uh, fully covered in a shadow and is bashing around everyone around and then no one wants to be around us. For um, sure, yeah. So well, you want to read that? I want to read this quote about uh, Carl Jung said, so he says, the shadow is a moral problem that challenges the whole ego personality for no one can become conscious of the shadow without considerable moral effort. So it's going to take work um, to become Conscious of it involves recognizing the dark aspects of the personality as present and real, right? So it's about admitting to yourself, like, there's stuff that I don't like about myself. There's stuff that I don't uh, I don't want other people to see. And then it's about actually spending time trying to investigate and figure out what those things are, right? You could live your entire life. Um, like, I would argue a person with... Uh, narcissism in a way spends their entire life never ever spending any time looking at their shadow they constantly are looking at other people and saying it's their fault it's their fault it's their fault it's their fault and that leads to them just being fairly unhealthy people because they never investigate that area narcissism is a lot more complex than that but that's kind of like a, a, a rough viewpoint of that so yeah and i i agree i think um We'll understand the shadow a little bit better if we compare it to what um, it's not. So the shadow is obviously the part of ourselves that we hide. We don't want to show this to people. It's something to remain hidden, whether we know it or not. The persona is an outward display of what we want people to think of us. It's kind of our public face, and uh, basically it's what we want to project um, and some people, a lot of people, I guess, on their social media, that's a persona. I, I'm not showing you my dirty laundry. I'm showing you what I want you to think of me. Now, there's plenty of other people that have actually made their social media the shadow. Like, yeah. this is where I po- post all my shadow stuff. In fact, um, I'm a little older, but the high schoolers actually told me this year, uh, some high schoolers I talked to told me that you have your regular Instagram which is your basically public face. That's one your parents look at, the school looks at, and I would call that your persona. And then you have your what they call spam account. Mm-hmm. And the spam account is something um, non-identifiable. So it'll be like 05077, like some word. It has nothing to do with you. You never put your face on it. You don't put any identifiers on it. And it'll be like people posting like, I went to Chick-fil-A. But usually it's also used for like vague booking. That's what I call it, yeah. where, you, where you post like, some sort of poem. Somebody said something mean to me today. I heard through the rumor mill yeah. that so-and-so, blah, 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 right? And yeah. it's your spam account, and people, like, know whose it is, but they don't say. And you can might have, like, five of these, and apparently it's, like, this sort of mystery. And some kids will, like, post um, pictures of them drinking or partying, but, mm-hmm. like, not their faces, like, just, like, the bottles or pipes or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like they're, like, the social media is, like, interestingly enough like a very obvious example of what persona and shadow is and i think that's a newer thing because let's talk about um examples of the shadow one of the easiest ones i think is sort of this sort of holier than thou preacher man yeah yeah who goes on tour and does tent revivals Mm -hmm. and has has a big congregation and he's preaching against uh homosexuality how mm-hmm. bad it is and then he ends up having an affair with a man uh, or multiple affairs with a man right or preaching how you know man um you you have to um be true to your wife and follow and don't 
break the Ten Commandments, and mm-hmm. then you find out that he's um, cheating on his wife with uh, somebody at the church, you know. Um, yeah. Or this is really interesting. This is actually a true story. <laughs> My friend went to this Catholic church, and right before this priest retired, they found out that he had embezzled, oh, I don't know, 500000 to a um, $500, million dollars, mm-hmm. and literally paid contractors with cash to turn his house into a mansion until one day the contractor was like where are you getting all this cash like i thought you were a priest and yeah. then they investigated him and he went he like got in trouble and i don't think he actually went to jail because he was so old but it was just <laughs> like that's it's such a example of the persona versus the shadow because the persona is like on the outside we want to look up to these men yeah. right and positions of authority obviously politicians is a whole nother topic but uh, or, you know, a sports player, and then you find out, yeah. oh, this sports player punched his girlfriend, and it's on video, and you're just yeah. like, no, this can't be true, right? You know, so I that's, would say, the, that's I, the shadow there. I would say, like, the big thing with the shadow and the persona, too, is, like, the persona is what you try to put on to hide what's in your shadow, right? Right. So if what's in my shadow, like, you gave the example of the uh priest who or the tent revival guy who's actually like who himself is actually attracted to other men but acts like all gay people are evil and going to hell um that person in his shadow is that he's actually attracted to men but what he's going to put on as a his persona is that they are all evil all gay people must be evil because i have to hide this part of myself so deeply that in order to not have it come out I put on this mask, um, and when I put on this mask, it stops you from seeing me. And then the thing that's interesting about the persona is it it's going to change a little bit depending on the people you're around too, right? If you're around your closer friends, they might see less of your persona, right? Like they're going to see more of who you are, more of your shadow, more of the depth. But if you're around like, let's say... Uh, a bad boss at work or uh, that friend in quotes that you spend time with, but you don't really like them, then you're going to show them only, you know, you're going to put on the full mask and hide as much as possible because that stuff that's in the shadow is the stuff that you don't want people to know about. And if you don't want them to know about it, the only way you're going to manage that is to put on a mask and hide it. Yes, that is a very good come around and you were uh talking about um one of the other reasons people uh don't want their shadow found out and really project a strong persona is because of shame Mm -hmm. um if if people know what my real problems are they may disown me and get rid of me but i i think if that happens you need new friends Um, people that can understand you because if you can start working on your shadow aspects, you will evolve so much faster as a person um, than if you just keep denying that they're not there or you hide them or you really, you know, you try to cover it up with something. I mean, um, here's an here's a couple easy examples. Um, so a, a guy feels insecure and sort of having low self-esteem, but he never admits it. So then he spends the next, you know, seven years in the gym every day trying to sculpt a perfect body. But then he still has problems dating and with friendships because he has low self-esteem and acts like a jackass. Mm-hmm. Um, and people can't stand being around him, but he's overcome in his mind the, how he feels inside by making his exterior look good. Yeah. Um, uh, an easy, another easy one is 
when people are dealing with something difficult, um, let's just say an easy one would be alcoholism. Mm -hmm. And um, instead of kind of saying that they're going to, you know, work a program like AA or go to therapy, they're like, well, I've been praying about it and, you know, God's going to help me through this. And I I know that that's going to, but then you, you know, that's cool and all, but then you hear that for the next five years and it's like, yeah, but you're, wife can't stand you and your kids are upset and you're still drinking and you keep telling me that and then they kind of project this sort of spiritual picture which sort of hides their the deep problem of the alcohol uh, mm-hmm. problem so anyway yeah and I, from our last podcast we talked about like you know men in that first half of life and that's like an often often a thing where like uh, if you think of a CEO of a company okay and not all CEOs but some CEOs of companies what they actually are is they're uh, in their shadow, they're really like, they feel they're really weak and timid and not powerful. And so what they then do is they project, they put on a shadow, they project of themselves, the persona, the persona yep, that they are super strong, super competent, able to be like the CEO of this multinational company. When in reality, underneath that, they're thinking, I'm, I'm not good enough. I have to keep growing because I have to prove to myself that I'm good enough. Right. And so they just kind of keep, they kind of keep this going because they want to keep it hidden, keep it, keep it secret. And so they're like, well, if, you know, if I get to the top of Amazon, well, now I have to make Amazon like the most large company in the entire world or whatever. Right. Like just keep growing, keep being bigger. And I, I want, or in maybe it's coming from a wound in the shadow. Like I want my dad to approve of me. Yeah. I want other people to like me and, and they're not dealing with it. So then the external grows. Um, another obvious one is, um, two obvious ones <laughs> are you're in a neighborhood and it's the most gorgeous neighborhood you've ever been in. Everybody takes care of their lawns. All the houses are clean. The grass is cut. And then you find out that someone's been arrested for domestic violence. Mm -hmm. And you think, wow, with a house like that, you know, that's not the stereotype of, you know, um, somebody who's being arrested for domestic violence. The Johnsons always seem so happy. Right. They always seem so nice. And what happened? You know, and you see them on the street and they're all happy. Or like the um, somebody who they feel uh, like... I don't know how to explain this, but I grew up in a trailer park, so I can kind of talk about this. But in the trailer park nowadays, it's like this whole thing where you live in a trailer, which costs like not that much money. And then you have like a like a hundred thousand dollar truck that's like gigantic. (laughs) And like you can bear and like the payments on that thing must be like six hundred dollars a month, like like an apartment like you could live in it to like make up for the fact that you're like feeling like kind of um, deep you know, emasculated or poor or something. So then when you're out and about in the town, you're driving this massive truck, which costs almost more than your trailer. Yeah. So there's like, there's this weird compensation. So that's like persona versus the shadow. I might feel badly. I need to make it up. Not that trucks aren't cool. It's just that this, some trucks are exaggerated. Yeah. The the, the need for them. I would argue that lots of people when they're uh, living in a trailer park and they have that cool fancy truck or that Escalade out front, that what they're really trying to do is be able to go to work or someplace else and have another place where they can be like, look at me. I have everything together. This is my persona. This is my face that I show to the world. 
this is how I want people to see me because if I drive the cool car, then everybody's going to be like, oh, look at how cool they are, even though I go home to kind of like a less than high quality place of living. And I think that's a good metaphor because I think when we are living um, in a shadowy place, we don't want other people to know that. And so I think that we want to put our best foot forward. I mean, there's a reason why people dress up for church on Sunday, no matter what happened on Saturday. Which I think also kind of leads to the concept, um, another concept in the, the shadow that Carl Jung talks about is the concept of repression. So we take this part that we don't want people to see and we like kind of shove it down super hidden. So Sigmund Freud talked about um, the concept of kind of the iceberg. So there was like the ego was kind of, I believe if I remember correctly, was the hidden underneath or was the top. Paul's pointing up. Um, and then underneath there, there was other things that were hidden. So what we do is we start shoving stuff down into this hidden under the water kind of area to try and make it look like um, we have everything together and kind of be like, okay, if I take this thing I don't like about my personality. So let's get, let's kind of give an example. Uh, I don't like about my personality that um, I'll give an example that's kind of ridiculous. I don't like that my voice sounds almost exactly like my brother's. So many years ago, I started talking with a lower voice as opposed to talking with a higher voice, which is my brother's voice is a little higher. So that's kind of like a kind of goofy example of how we find these parts of our personality or these parts of our shadows and we repress them really deep down. And you were kind of talking about the, uh, the idea of the Instagram account, right? So my one Instagram account, I'm going to have it look like I have everything together. You know, I'm going to show the perfect picture every single time. I'm going to every, in every single picture, I'm going to bust out laughing, like looking like I'm just having the the greatest time of my life. And then I'm going to have another Instagram account where I'm going to be like, well, here's the actual stuff that's going on. Here's me like, you know, here's the throw up on the ground after I just got so drunk from being at the party because I didn't want to actually face what was going on. Um, so that's kind of like the concept of repression. I think you had a little more to say about that too. Yeah. Repression is sometimes conscious, but sometimes unconscious. So one way of repression is the socially conscious suppression, which is messages we receive by our culture that we're involved in, whether it be our family subculture uh, culture of belief, education, culture, or whatever, and these can be by verbal or nonverbal means, and they may just also be our interpretation of what's going on. So, for instance, um, you know, you as a boy, you uh, you know, sing a cute song with a girl at a party, and your uncle's like, "What the hell? That's dumb. Don't act like a girl." <laughs> And or gives you a weird look, and then you think, oh, singing is not manly or or whatever. Like guys don't do that, and then you just never sing again. Um, and you're repressing this part of yourself. Uh, but then there's the positive repression, like um, you you're you're getting violent, and people say, do not be violent, yeah. like stop hitting. And then you know that you must repress the violent part of yourself, which is possibly good but at the same time if it goes too far into the unconscious and gets segmented away and it's not addressed like why you don't hit like you don't hit because it's not nice and it's hurts people and you don't really understand it and you've kind of just sequestered it away it can come out in kind of strange and ugly ways one of the exaggerative examples is sort of like dr jekyll mr hyde dr jekyll this 
is uh, you know is takes this potion one night and becomes Mr. Hyde. So it's like one at one point he's like this happy go lucky guy, but maybe he like the example of uh, a guy who hasn't dealt with something in his life, and the next thing you know he's screaming at his wife and kids, and he, because he's repressed some part of himself and he's not he's not dealing with it. Yeah, often repression leads to us kind of like having something um, hidden down underneath that will kind of show itself out of the shadow from time to time. So you gave the example of somebody like kind of beating his wife. Um, I think we talked, you and I have talked before about the example of like a street preacher who goes around talking about how uh, all the gays are evil. And then it ends up finding out later on, it comes out that he's actually in a affair with a man and it's like this big scandal and it's because he's been spending all this time repressing that like hidden desire for uh other men so one of the ways we often see repression is through the terms always never never gonna happen not a thing kind of stuff like that why don't you kind of talk a little bit about that too yeah a good sign um you know that you're repressing thoughts about yourself is because the shadow isn't necessarily good or bad or evil. It's just things that we don't want to know about ourselves or don't want to see about ourselves or that we want to hide and we want to repress, whether consciously or unconsciously. So if if there's a sign that you're saying, like, I would never do that or I'd never be that, um, that that's a sign that you you might be repressing some part of that because every person, like I've said before, has a shadow and that we're all just people and we have a dark side and we all have these tendencies towards... Um, doing things that possibly aren't good for us or other people, but we're trying to learn to align ourselves so that we can live out something that has meaning versus destruction. And and we'll get more into that. But I think that um, a way to kind of identify it, because repression is just is such a huge topic, um, but I believe that re- things that are repressed go into your shadow. Um, so... I mean, here's a here's a silly thing before we get into, I think, projection, but uh, it is so often happens that somebody says, you need to change your life, and you repaint your car rather than rewire the engine. Yeah. Pico Iyer said that. So it's kind of like, you know, someone's like, um, you know, you need to... You need to quit doing that, and you just you just do something else. You don't ever fix the issue. It's somebody trying to give you feedback, and and we'll talk about later how feedback is one of the best ways to deal with the shadow and do shadow work. But that's where well, that's a little and, preview. And I think you could talk about out of that too, like how so often people who struggle with like an addiction just move from addiction to addiction. You know, like you, since your repression is just that you kind of like being re- addicted maybe or something like that i mean it, you'd have to get into a a lot of shadow work to get into really figure out why for a person but like for example i told people a long time ago i used to drink a ton of mountain dew like three 20 ounce bottles a day way too much and literally all i've done in order to stop drinking mountain dew is now i drink like four or five cups of coffee a day so, like, I haven't really resolved the thing that's underneath that kind of keeps me addicted to the thing. I've just moved it to a new addiction, right? I've moved it to a new place. Well, and it's not so bad because you don't have the sugar. True. I do drink black coffee now, too. So, no sugar, no milk. So, it's a little bit healthier, but my stomach's not too happy at the end of the day. <laughs> you just got to switch to cold brew because there's uh, 
No, not as much acid that'll help with that <laughs> yeah um so then we get into the concept off of that i think of um projection i think is the next thing we're going to talk about yeah so um oftentimes we don't want to acknowledge our shadow we don't want to acknowledge what we've repressed and we basically start using defense mechanisms to basically try to stay ignorant of our faults and weaknesses and we do this by usually blaming others um or casting our shadow onto others rather than taking responsibility for our part of the behavior or the situation or the problem, uh, we want to do something that benefits us and we project onto others our shadow to avoid dealing with our shadow. And that is um, something that happens all of the time, whether we're conscious of it or not. You know, and there can be more extreme examples of it or minor examples of it. But one of the ways to think of projection is if you went to school in the 80s or before, maybe the 90s, you had the overhead projector. And now we have the cool electronic movie projectors in classrooms. But what it shows is that it takes an image and it broadcasts it onto a wall. Now, if you had somebody stand in front of that wall, you'd be able to see the person, but the image would be distorted by the light and the letters and the numbers or whatever text is on that projector on the wall because you're not clearly seeing the person. And this helps us turn that person into a shadowy figure or what you can also call a scapegoat, which I'll get into. But Carl Jung said, you have a quote too, but I want to read this one first, which is, projection is one of the most common psychic phenomena. Everything that is unconscious in ourselves, we discover in our neighbor and we treat him accordingly. That's Carl Jung from the book Archaic Man. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think like the, so to talk more about the projector idea, just real quick. Even if you, if you remember back to those, even if you were trying to display something, right? So you're trying to display the Pythagorean theorem, which I can never pronounce that word right. Um, You would put it up there. And the thing that you would see would be the shadow, right? There's something blocking the light. And that's kind of the same concept of projection, right? Like I'm taking what I think is should be on this person and I'm putting it on them. So I'm going to look at whoever. Okay, I think I think I remember talking about this one where um, since I'm a, a counselor, I project onto social workers all the time. And I say, like, social workers are terrible Social workers don't know how to do therapy because I just have decided somewhere in my mind that that's the way it's supposed to be, right? Now, I know tons of great social workers. Uh, If you're a social worker out there, do not come and attack me because you are all awesome. But I'm going to project that onto you because that's what I've come to believe. I've been convinced of that, um, that I should project onto them out of myself that, like, they're terrible or whatever. So, well, right? then that would make you not have to look at your own mistakes as a therapist. Yeah. If we I, can blame social workers for being worse therapists. Yeah. I wouldn't have to say like, oh, well, the real problem is, you know, like myself as a counselor, I need to do more education. I need to get better as a therapist, right? I can just be like, oh, well, if more people would go find counselors instead of therapists or instead of social workers. So there's this quote by Carl Jung where he says, um, knowing your own darkness is the best method for dealing with the darkness of other people. Okay. So, uh, one of the things, this is kind of like a personal journey I've been on recently is one of the things I've been working on with myself is, um, that I don't want to ever think about somebody's, uh, intentions. I don't want to assume that I know somebody's intentions, right? So if I'm at home with my wife and my wife, you know, says something with a little bit of an attitude, which, 
I mean, that's pretty normal. Um, then instead of me thinking, oh, she's mad at me because I didn't do something, I try to take that off and I try to think, well, what is she really trying to say and what's really going on, right? And that, to me, is about getting to know my shadow. I know that my shadow is like, if my wife says, hey, you need to do the the dishes, I'm going to take that as nagging, right? Like instantaneously, my first response is my wife is nagging me because she wants me to, she's like, you're not doing enough around the house, which my wife never says. But my knee-jerk reaction out of my shadow is to go, oh, well, she's clearly telling me I'm not good enough, I'm not doing enough, therefore, I'm going to take it that way. And my journey has been to stop hearing like stop putting intentions on and actually sometimes i just ask my wife what are you trying to say and she'll be like oh i just want you to i want the dishes to get done because i want to cook dinner tonight cool right so what you're trying to do is withdraw your projection from another person because we we have like carl jung says it's happening all the time so and it can happen for a variety of reasons but a lot of them are defense mechanisms or uh history repeating or us assuming things, and a lot of times they, our projections are black and white thinking. They're all or nothing thinking. Oh, I know why. It's it's an it's a swift judgment we do to possibly protect ourselves or defend. So the healthiest thing we can try to do is withdraw our projections and become aware of our own faults, such as assuming that your wife, you know, meant something that other than what she said. So I have the same problem. Um, I I I know my wife will say things. She's very straightforward, and I my style of speaking has been kind of go around and around a subject until I, you know, hit the bullseye. I kind of throw a lot of darts. She just throws one dart. And so I'll say, well, what are you saying? Are you saying this? She's like, no, I just said what I said. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Now I understand. Uh, so, like, I have this habit because I like to talk and say things in two or three different ways to get a depth of meaning, like a layer cake, like a tiramisu, that she wants to say the same thing. So she must have, like, two or three other layers she isn't telling me. when she's like, no, there's only one layer. This is all I'm saying. So I have to withdraw that. Otherwise, I'm blaming her for things that don't exist. I'm making up yeah. insanity. And so if if I'm able to withdraw then I can face up to my own weaknesses, which are maybe I don't want to do what you know, she said or, or, or acknowledge what she said because it's too difficult or it's too hard. But this is like a battle in our life. If we don't confront our shadow, basically what's going to happen is the shadow is going to grow and get darker. So this is an interesting quote from Carl Jung's, um, this is a, uh, notes from this seminar given in uh, 1930 to 1934. When one tries desperately to be good, wonderful, and perfect, then all the more the shadow defi- develops a definite will to be black and evil and destructive. People cannot see that. They are always striving to be marvelous, and then they discover that terrible destructive things happen which they cannot understand, and they either deny such facts have anything to do with them, or if they admit them, they take them for natural afflictions, or they try to minimize them and to shift the responsibility elsewhere. The fact is that if one tries beyond one's capacity to be perfect, the shadow descends into hell and becomes the devil. Of course, this is metaphorical. Well, and another quote by Carl Jung that I have here too that kind of, I think, summarizes that a little bit is, People will do anything no matter how absurd to avoid facing their own souls, right? So we're going to work super hard to avoid looking at ourselves and figuring out what's going on in ourselves. And so one of the ways we avoid that is we go, well, you're clearly the problem, not me, right? Like you're, you're the rude one. You're the, you're the, the mean one. You're the one who doesn't say things the way they're supposed to be. 
you're the one who nags me all the time, right? When, you know, in reality, we're probably either the one that nags or we're the one that gets like the annoyance when we get nagged. You know, it's not really like they're sitting there like "Eh, eh," poking at us all the time. So, you know, right. There's something going on with us. We, we at least have 50% of the responsibility unless we're straight up being abused or neglected by somebody. You have part of the responsibility in any type of relationship. And so that is a difficult thing. And I think what's important for people, before we get into more examples of what this can cause, like the scapegoat, which I want to get to, but I think we need to, We people want to know, how do I learn what my shadow is and how do I understand my projections? So you had something to say about this. There's a Robert Bly quote. Yeah. We noticed that when sunlight hits the body, the body turns bright but throws a shadow, which is dark. The brighter the light, the darker the shadow. That's by Robert Bly. Yeah, so the shadow is really a hard, it's hard for us to see our own shadow often. So like, um, one of the things I hear from people all the time, especially I'm going to pick on guys for a minute and say, especially, uh, men is, well, I don't need to talk to people. I don't need to look at my shadow because I I've already figured it out. And it's like, if you think about you're walking into the sun, your shadow's behind you, you gotta, you're going to have a hard time seeing it. Right. And you're either going to be like, walking really weird looking behind you which nobody wants to do or you're gonna not be seeing your shadow okay so one of the things i do with lots of clients um when i talk about the shadow is there's something that exists called the jahari window uh it's spelled j-o-h-a-r-i window um it's the combination of the two guys who uh did it it's a combination of their last names i forgot to look up their last names so you'll just have to check it out that way. Um, but basically it's a box and in the top left corner, there's an open area or the arena. Okay. So this is the area where every single person knows about you. Okay. This is the, the front facing version of yourself. Okay. Well, you know, this is the part of that, that maybe even is the mask area, right? This is the persona to the bottom left side. You have the hidden area or the facade. This is kind of part of your shadow. This is the area that you hide and you kind of are like, this is kind of your secret area. You know about it, but other people don't know about it, okay? So when I think about this area, it's like um, people uh, people know about me that I like to play hockey and that I have a big beard. That's a pretty common knowledge. People don't know about me that I used to coach gymnastics for three years, okay? So that's kind of like a hidden area, right? And then the uh, to the top right, you've got the blind spot. So this is the area that other people know, but you don't know. A good example of this is I remember having a conversation with my wife, and she was like, I was like, yeah, I'm like a super laid back, chill individual. And my wife is like, I don't think you're as laid back as you think you are. And I was like, what are you talking about? She's like, you're pretty uh, direct. You say pretty much what's on your mind to people, and you're pretty like, you know, cut to the chase kind of person. And I was like, really? And I had to think about it and be like, okay, maybe I'm not actually as laid back as I thought I was, right? And that was a big time of like her speaking into the shadow or the kind of blind spot area for me and being like, whoa, I'm not as laid back as I thought I was. And then finally, you have the bottom right area, which is known as the unknown. This is the area that you just don't even know about yet. Like this is just completely hidden. So this is like the darkest shadow area. So when we get into this area, this is where we start getting into the idea of things will be projected out of this. This is areas where we repress stuff into, okay? 
So the only way that we can possibly get this unknown area to become known is to allow other people to speak into our blind spot for other people to kind of like help us see that and for us to make that arena a little bit bigger with some people, right? So like I talked about with my wife, she talked into my blind spot. Well, now I can look and say, okay, I have been for a long time projecting out of my um, or putting on the mask out of my unknown area that I am super laid back when in reality, I speak my mind pretty quick. I've had you know tough conversations with a lot of people around me. And that's been a big change to be able to be like, okay, I'm okay with that now. And I can stop being like, oh, I'm just super laid back all the time. I can be like, no, I'm not super laid back all the time. I can be comfortable in that now that I see it. Right. And so that's starting to change and integrate with the shadow. And I think we'll get into shadow work, but I I think I want to talk about a few dangers of the shadow. And and this is not the part of the shadow called shadow possession, which we'll get into toward the end where, where you actually use the shadow on purpose but this is this is still the unknown shadow kind of like maybe other people see it um we don't um and i think what's important there is for instance uh think about this the shadow is hidden behind us just like an actual shadow which is on the ground cast behind us from the light in front of us we usually can't see it ourselves like you said we need someone else to point it out to us we don't want to see the darkness that we hide Oftentimes, we project our shadow into others. We've been talking about that. And that can become divisiveness. What is unconscious in us, we discover in the outside world, and we're often repulsed by it so much because we don't want to identify our own shadow parts, and we just try to label other people, other objects um, from the dark parts of ourselves that we don't want to see. So some examples of this are um, what we call scapegoating. Mm -hmm. And a scapegoat is basically like, Uh, I mean, it can be somebody in a family, you know, you can have like a scapegoat sibling, but oftentimes people pick scapegoats that are far away from their culture or far away from their kind of um, circle because it's a lot easier to talk about people that aren't near you because they have no way to prove you wrong. And uh, so, for instance, you know, we can say, you know, back in uh, the McCarthy era of politics in the 1950s in America, um, everyone was really afraid of the Russians. And we had political, geopolitical conflicts with their government, our government did. But it doesn't mean we had actual conflicts with the people. Actually, America and Russia had had a lot of people that, uh, you know, in terms of citizens that were not in were not in fights, you know what I mean? We just haven't had a chance to hang out. So I kind of had this, this is a total crazy utopia idea, but if we could like, you know, fly a bunch of Americans over to Moscow, get the American government out of it, keep the Russian government out of it and just have a big party. I think we'd have a good time and vice versa if they came all over and hung out with us. We'd have to get used to the vodka and the really cold hockey games, and mm, they'd have just, to get used to our craft We'd just trade beer. them for whiskey and basketball. Right, there you go. So, we, you know, it, it's, it's the people aren't the issue. Um, what we're talking about with scapegoating on a collective level is the collective shadow, which can lead to war. Um, and, and often, you know, for instance... A lot of times the easiest people to project onto the shadow to have a scapegoat are people with no power and no voice. So, for instance, the United States, um, for instance, my grandfather immigrated from Germany. Mm-hmm. Uh, my relatives before that immigrated from Norway and Sweden on the other side of my family. And now I hear in the dialogue that immigrants are bad and they're taking away jobs and all this sort of thing. And now that's a geopolitical argument mixed up with some other misunderstandings about uh, humanity. And, you know, there's all sorts of policy issues that I won't get into with that. But 
But it can become very easy for someone to project onto someone from the outside is what you're saying. Like I can look at somebody and say, you're the problem because you're taking away my job or whatever, as opposed to uh, looking at yourself and saying, I mean, you probably don't want to work a job in a field anyways. Right. And scapegoating in the group, um, usually what happens is that they take something that is something different than our, your culture or something different than you. So it's called a hook. Uh, Carl Jung said, not that these others are wholly without blame, for even the worst projection is at least hung on a hook, perhaps a very small one, but still a hook offered by another person. So it's very easy when you're in a dominant culture or, or a cultural bubble to cast a negative light or a shadow on other groups of people that may may live across the world. And projections at a collective level can become very dangerous. And so you can see this in extremist religious groups who want to basically kill other religious groups, which is crazy because both of their holy books say that you should love your brother and your sister and your neighbor, but we have the Crusades, if and you want to look enemy. that up. Or, and your enemy, sorry. But yeah, if you want to look up the Crusades, that happened. Um, and, you know, obviously, it, right now in the Middle East, uh, easy example is the Palestinians and Israel, uh, Israeli people um, going back and forth and blaming the other, and they keep saying, well, you're the evil one. Well, no, you're the evil one. Uh, and then the worst part is that uh, people in power can use projection on a collective level to divert attention away from their own problems and basically, and the harm they may be causing, and by using propaganda, false flags, manipulation it uh, techniques to cast blame on ready-made scapegoats who don't have a platform, and thus we can we can go into a you know a collective hate um that you don't even know about i mean i just remember when i was a kid hearing about um people coming over from mexico and how how bad that was and i just had heard that i was like eight years old and i had no idea what that meant well it you know it, it it whatever reason they came over a lot of people are seeking asylum whatever um i had heard you know that there was all this criminal activity well that's just not the case when you look statistically and um and i had had like this idea of this group of people being dangerous but then when i met people that moved over from mexico and i went to mexico myself i found them to be the people i met to be great and that this was just obviously some sort of hook that somebody had used to make me think that this was bad and i was only eight years old yeah well i think you're talking a little bit about the idea of like collectivism and just like the the collective thinking and i think that that's often what's used is like uh an us versus another kind of thing to like convince people to do stuff um like if you look today it's like you know in american politics it's like liberals versus conservatives right it's like us versus them and i think that that is very much like a scapegoating right like i'm going to point to the other person and say it's their problem rather than uh talk about my own problems and to go to like a smaller level and kind of bring it back to an individual level like this is the same thing that happens in like every single marriage and friendship and relationship right when you get in a fight it's like it's your fault you did this you said this rude thing well you said this rude thing and everybody just gets into this like super big like entrenched viewpoint that the other person is the scapegoat the other person is a problem like i always laugh when people get divorces like their third divorce and you're like at a thir- certain point, do you stop blaming the other person and say maybe you're the problem for the third divorce? 
Well, yeah, and the divorce is the it, it, when people ultimately go to divorce. And now there's many good reasons to divorce, obviously, if you're in a domestic violence situation. But let's just say it's not. Let's just say it's a disagreement about yeah. something, and it's not a con, you know one of those nice divorces where I have actually heard of nice amiable divorces where people are like, you know what, I want to do this in my life, and you want to do that. That's cool. Okay, we split. But I'm talking about the demonization that like, oh, you know, they're the worst when you when you meet somebody um, and they say, you know, don't get my uh, my ex is actually insane and crazy and maybe spawn of the devil. And you're like, really? Are they in jail? They have a felony? Are they in a mental hospital? Like, oh no, they live in the suburbs and they have a job as an accountant. And you're like, well, wait, so how are they the most evil person ever? Do they have friends? Do they eat their, you know, do they eat their young? Like what's going on? It's like, no, no, they just, they're just terrible. And so that's, that's an example of projection and putting your shadow because you don't want to look at what your part of the divorce was. Now, to kind of transition into what we can do about it, there's two things I want to say. There's a quote. My first quote is uh, from Hamlet by Shakespeare. Uh, there's the quote, the lady doth protest too much, methinks, which is um, Queen Gertrude, uh, can't ever say her name, Gertrudine, in response to the insincere overacting of a character in the play uh, created by Prince Hamlet to prove his uncle's guilt in the murder of his father the king of Denmark. So it's kind of like that like trope in movies and plays where somebody's like kind of like it's like, "Hey, how's it going?" He's like, "I didn't murder them." And it's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa. We didn't ask you that." You know, it's like that whole thing like in a stupid cop show or whatever like um and so it, it, you know, it's that thing where you're you're just all you're on edge about it, you're triggered about it because you can't look at your issue in it and so you've got to keep saying, "Oh, you've got to keep over embellishing that you don't have anything to do with it." And then the last one is my theory on why Jimmy Buffett actually sold so many records is that he said, you know, some people say it's a woman to blame. There's a woman to blame, but I know that it's all my fault. And I think that's why he's able to have his cheeseburger in paradise because he admitted that um, essentially he realized that he he wanted to just put tears in his beer and, and blame the woman, but he actually was the it was at least half his fault. Yeah. And, and I think that's kind of what we're trying to say is that whatever you think when you're angry or you're feeling all self-righteous, don't forget to look behind you or get somebody to look behind you. What's at your shadow? And how can we as therapists promote dealing with these things? Because if you don't deal with your shadow, you have so many problems that keep coming up and up again and again. So we want to talk about eating our shadow or shadow work. So how do we do that? Yeah. So the first thing I want to read this quote from uh, Winston Churchill, because I think it's funny and kind of covers some of what we're talking about here, which is eating our shadow is a very slow process. It doesn't happen once, but hundreds of times. And this part I think is funny. I've had to eat my I have eat, had to eat many of my own words, and I found the diet very nourishing. All right, so Winston Churchill, who's known as his great leader, is admitting I've had to like eat my own words, eat my own shadow multiple times. Right, I've projected out of my shadow and had to to get in a whole lot of of trouble and issues. So I think the big thing about eating your shadow is just that it's having the humility to admit, like. Yeah, I just projected out of my shadow onto you and screwed things up, right? So one of the things that I work with um, tons of my clients on is taking the blame that's your blame and not taking the blame that's not your blame, right? So if you screw up, you better be I, – I use this terminology all the time with my clients in their relationships. I say, you better be able to wash your hands, and they always ask me what that means, and I say – 
at the end of it, if you get a divorce, you better be able to wash your hands and say, I did every single, every single thing I possibly could. And that's the same way in any situation is you should be able to say, I fought tooth and nail to work on my shadow. Okay. So how do we eat our shadow? We eat our shadow by allowing other people to speak into our shadow and then just shutting up and listening as opposed to being like, no, that's not true about me. That, that can't possibly be true. Just going, oh, okay. You're seeing some area that I'm not seeing. I'm missing this area. I'm being humble enough to kind of open up to that. And I think you look like you have something to say. Well, I just want to say, I think it's a process and you have to find a safe person. And I don't mean safe and like a safe zone person. I think you need to find somebody who's willing to speak truth, but to be able to say it in a medium tone, non-accusatory, because there's also an abusive way to... Um, tell someone about their shadow, which is, you're always doing this, you're an addict, you're this, you're that. Well, that doesn't really work very well when you bash someone over the head with their problems. And it also doesn't work well when you tiptoe around them on eggshells and say, well, I don't know, maybe you should think about um, drinking um, 12 beers instead of 13 beers tonight. That doesn't work either. It's got to be delivered in a way that the person's ready for. So I call it asking permission, which is, do you mind if I share something about what I've been observing? Because I think it might help you, but you may not like what I say. Yeah. And that and then that gives the person a chance because if you want to reach out to somebody who's got a shadow and you first got to be able to understand that it may be good for them to know that they are able to talk to you about your shadow because if you want to l- reach out to others that's love where if you just keep denying your shadow that's control. You might try to control others or control your narrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that like in addition to that too it's about like being able to like consistently have the conversations right like you're not going to have uh you know winston churchill says i've had to eat my shadow many times you're not going to have one conversation and have the problem solved and so i i would say some of the best ways i think that you can kind of work on the process of eating your shadow is first and foremost have people around you that you you care about that are willing to talk to you about stuff and willing to ask permission and then tell you the truth and be willing to ask it all the time. Right. So, um, I'll give an example. If you've ever watched, if you watch sports at all, you'll notice that every single sports team has like 500 coaches for some reason, right? Like all the professional teams. And then there's one person up at the top of it. The reason it's set up like that is because one person is going to miss stuff, right? One person isn't going to see everything. Um, So I like hockey and I watch a lot of hockey. So one of the things they do in that sport is they have a couple coaches on the bench and then they have three or four coaches up in the press box above the arena because the people that are above the arena, their goal is to see stuff that the coach can't see from the ground level, right? And then be like, hey, you know, this player is doing this thing. This is happening. We need to do this, okay? And there's this communication back and forth. So first and foremost, have people around you that care and will have conversations with you. Secondly, go to therapy. (laughs) Go talk to somebody who is trained to look at your shadow and to talk into it and talk about it. That's going to be a huge process in the, the ability to eat your shadow because if you're not willing to do that, either of those things, you're going to have a really hard time with your shadow and your shadow is going to, um, I always say your, your shadow is going to get its time in the light. It's going to find a way to come out and the way it comes out is not going to be a way you're going to enjoy. <laughs> 
That's correct. The skeletons in the closet are not just going to stay there. So it is going to come out in a way you're not going to want to enjoy. And I often hear this is that therapy's not going to work. Well, you've just decided that it won't work. Or another line I hear is that there's no way that this can ever change. That means that there's something you're not willing to deal with or you're you're too defensive, you're too you're too locked up. Now remember, defensiveness is to protect us. But when we're dealing with this shadow part of ourselves, of course it doesn't want to get discovered. Of course the addiction doesn't want to get discovered. Of course um, certain problems in the way I act because I feel like that's part of my identity or that's part of something. It's too difficult. Oh, it's too difficult to change. You you just haven't met my wife because if you could, you, if you saw her, you'd know. And it's like, no, you know what? I, I think that's true in like 3% of the cases. Okay, like three percent of the cases, somebody's like, no, really, she's crazy. And she was arrested for murder. And it was a real thing. The rest of the time. No, dude, it's you and her together that's that are causing these problems. So um, we're we're picking on men. But I want to I want to before we get to the real man part about how we can kind of even go further with this, um, we have to we have to know that if we accept our shadow side, we can learn to integrate that into our past, into our new positive behaviors. And and again, we're going to keep going back to our shadow because we're never going to be perfect. We're never going to be whole. We're always going to have a a problem that we don't see. And that's part of the process of evolving and growing up and not just growing old. And so I have to be able to accept the human condition uh, and that I have faults, but so do other people. But if I'm if I'm on some sort of you know Twitter rampage and I'm just like, look at these terrible people saying these things I don't agree with. That's a sign that you aren't dealing with your shadow and that you're getting on a self righteous podium. Uh, it doesn't mean that we don't set boundaries with people, but we do not expect perfection out of people, and we expect people to be flawed and multifaceted. So um, this is something, before we get to this next part um, about the second part of life, which kind of ties into the first podcast we did, um, which you can find uh, about men in the second half of life. Jung said this actually before World War II, before Hitler was even in power, I believe about 1930. Modern people are ignorant of what they really are. We have simply forgotten what a human being really is. So we have men like Nietzsche, Freud, and Adler who tell us what we are quite mercilessly. We have to discover our shadow. Otherwise, we are driven into a world war in order to see what beasts we really are. And that's from Visions, notes of the seminar given in 1934. Um, So (laughs) unfortunately, that did happen. We Mm. had a world war. We saw what beasts we really were, a couple of them. Yeah, and that was right before the second one. And we realized, uh, okay, you know, this this is not a way to get along. You know, we all have to share the same planet, and that and that's kind of an evolving view. So let's talk about men in particular, because that's kind of the expertise we have. Not that yeah. we both don't see women um, as therapists. Oftentimes we do, uh, especially since we both specialize in trauma work. Uh, and I think we do quite well with women, but um, you know, guys, we really know how to turn the screws on you because we are you. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> we've lived the we're, life. we're nicer to the women in our office. Let's be real about that. So anyway, <laughs> go ahead. Yeah. So let me first read, uh, this quote by, uh, Robert Bly. So he says, every part of our personality that we do not love 
will become hostile to us, okay? Now, when he says love, he doesn't mean that you have to think it's the best part about your personality. It doesn't mean that that part of your personality that really loves Burger King, um, guilty, that... Oh, that's no. the part that that's the part that you have to just be like, oh, that's my favorite part of my personality. I just love that part. What he means by love is more the concept of spending time with it, knowing it, knowing it well, right? You can still change it. I mean, I eat less fast food now than I did when I was 22. Thank the Lord. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, it, it's a process, right? And so what I would say is we talked about um, in a previous podcast that Paul kind of mentioned, we talked about the second half of life, okay? So this is this concept where um, for the first half of life, we're kind of like building a container. We're making ourselves look good. We're making the mask look good, right? We're putting on a mask and we're being like, oh, yeah, look how good I look. I'm awesome. Okay, And then the second part of life is about filling up the container and making yourself actually have value, right? Like having, getting the valuable stuff into your life, I should say. And do you have something to say? Well, I was going to say also the mask can be also known as the ego identity, yeah. which is necessary to be able to deal with the world we live in. You have to have some type of identity unless you live in a completely collectivist culture, which takes care of you. So we're talking about the Western world here. Um and, you know, so anyway, but just so, yeah, you have to develop that ego. But then if you keep driving with the ego and the mask in the second part of life, it will destroy you or people around you or whole places. So yeah. we have to fill the container, which is what? Yeah. Yeah. So filling the container is filling the container with the valuable things, right? So valuable things are like strong relationships, um, doing the things that you love, right? So I so often see um, clients come into my office and they're like, well, I make good money, but I just don't find any fulfillment in it. It's like, well, yeah, because you were just trying your whole life to make money, to earn, to get more, to put on a better mask, okay? And so the thing that I would say about the shadow and men is do the work. Start getting into the process of figuring stuff out. You can avoid a lot of the really terrible stuff that happens in life that we talked about in our first podcast of going through a divorce, going through a job loss, going through uh, a mental health crisis in the middle part of your life by actually starting the process of figuring out your shadow, figuring out what it is that are the big, I'll say prejudices in your shadow that really are going to hold you back and make life hard, right? What are the things that keep you stuck in the same patterns over and over again? And the way you're going to do that is by, like we talked about, having good people in your life and, you know, getting a good therapist and working through that process. If you don't do that, then... <sighs> You're going to be, you know, going through another divorce, complaining and saying that wife is evil, right? Like that ex-wife, she's evil. Um, there's a quote that I had um, earlier that talks about from Carl Jung where he says, no person ever, like very few people ever actually meet someone who is truly authentically evil. And But so often we want to label everybody as authentically evil. But if you ever meet a truly evil person, you're like, it's, it's jarring. It's like cold to the soul. To the soul. So like, um, but we want to blame everybody and say that because that's our shadow speaking into them and making them be evil. And so I would just say like, 
go out and find some good people and really start um, investing in um, investigating your shadow. And not to be, you know, total, it, shadow work is also make make a list of things that you really want to achieve in your life, almost like a bucket list, like on the positive side. But a lot of life coaches out there, I will, I'm, I'm going to project a little shadow on the life coaches, uh, are like, make this vision board about all the things you want and all the money you want to manifest and all the sex you want to have and all the really good food and then be a part of this cool club where you travel around the world. And it's like, okay, um, that's called ascension. And that is the first part of life. Ascending, ascending, doing more, finding more, trying to fill that void, the hedonic treadmill. But like, the issue is this. So, like, I, I'm, I am saying to you out there, if you're going to do shadow work, do make a list. Make a list of five or ten things you really want to achieve before you die. Um, and look, if you haven't looked at this article, look at the famous regrets of the dying. The regrets of the dying are always something like, I wish I would have spent more time with my kids. I wish I would have spent more time with my partner. I wish I would have spent more time playing. I wish I would have been outside more. I wish I would have not been... Uh, working so much. I wish I wouldn't have cared so much about money because I can't take it with me. I wish almost, I wouldn't have bought so many dumb things. Almost no one when they're dying says, I wish I would have just had a few hundred more bucks. Right, exactly. So it, we have to be able to navigate the modern world, which means we are in the Western world, we have to have some sort of currency going on in our life. But to what end? What is the trade-off? So make that list of fun things you want to do. But trust me, Unless you do the shadow work, you're not going to get there. It's always going to be, well, next year when I have more time. Oh, well, next year when I don't need to make as much money. Well, next year, well, when I get this much in my 401k, then I'll then I'll work on that. No, no, you won't. It'll always be put off until you deal with what's in your shadow because you have to look at the negative. You have to descend into the mud, into the muck, into the darkness to be able to clean that up so you can be in the noonday sun and have the small have a smaller shadow. Um, and, and that's, I, I really think, what the real work is, is being able to look at ourselves with the help of others through the lens of a shadow to see what we are hiding and concealing and actually trying to apply the feedback. And now you don't have to tr- apply everything all at once. You can do one thing at a time. And that's why you need somebody to help you. I don't think it's possible to do the shadow work on your own because, I mean, I've tried and I, I'm, I always miss things. It's the shadow. When people say something to me and I'm like, what are you talking about? I know that they're hitting on my shadow because it didn't occur to me that I did this, right? Um, So, Well, think about it like I would think about it in this way. Imagine if you've ever gone camping and you lose like um, what's something you would lose while camping? A compass. A compass. It's on the ground and you start trying to look around with a flashlight, okay? Well, you're going to look and look and look and you may never find it. But if you go out there with 10, 15 people in your group, the odds of you finding it are increased, right? So sure, you could do shadow work all by yourself and you might start to unveil some stuff in your personality. But in order to really, truly get through all the shadow, you have to have more people. You got to have more flashlights on the scene. That is correct. You need a few lanterns. So one of the things I want to talk about, which we haven't really got into, is shadow possession. Shadow possession is a theory, obviously, but what I found shadow possession to be is that people get told time and time again, hey, you know what, this thing really bothers me about you, or can you stop doing that, or human resources is called one too many times, or maybe there's allegations and court cases pending, but you have enough money to pay off the lawyers and, you know, to, to kick it down the road. And what this shadow possession is, is when you decide at some point, it's like making a quote-unquote deal with the devil, you're giving into all your desires and feelings in your ego and you actually choose 
the dark path. A, a real good example of shadow possession is Darth Vader from Star Wars because he used to be Anakin. He used to be this good guy. Bad things happen. Trump, traumatic events happen, and he found that he could he could uh, you know use the Force for the dark side. And then he got given all this power, and he leaned into it. Yeah. He leaned into the shadow possession. Another good shadow possession is like. Um, you know, you see some people that are just like, they will not listen to reason. They won't, they get corrected so many times and then they just go into a life of full on addiction, just straight up addiction until they die or straight up criminal activity till they die. Um, and that is dangerous because you can also have that. Those are extreme examples, but you can have mini shadow possession Mm -hmm. where it just keeps you from having a full life where you're having good times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think like shadow possession is an example that came to my mind is like where somebody keeps getting told like the only thing you're good at is doing this. And so then they just kind of say, well, I guess that's the only thing I'm good at. It's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy where they hear uh, repeatedly about their shadow, but they don't want to ever actually address the shadow. So then they just say, well, I'm just going to embrace the shadow. The shadow is just going to become my friend. It's going to become who I am which is kind of the Darth Vader example, right? He's a very extreme version of it, but he's like got this slight little evil dark side of him in the early movies where he's like, well, I want to be able to be in control because I want to be able to save people from dying. And then eventually it just gets distorted into like, I'm saving people by dying from dying by taking over the world. It's like, or taking over the universe. It's like, no, you're killing thousands of people. What are you talking about? So that's kind of like a really extreme version of shadow possession. Um, a smaller version of shadow possession, I think is like, uh, a good example would be, um, I talked about the social worker thing, right? It'd be like me just being like, social workers are terrible. I'm never going to hire a social worker. Like that's like a mini version, I think, where you just kind of embrace that shadow as opposed to addressing it. Right. And um, I don't remember the exact Roman slogan, but the Romans in their height before their empire fell, their one of their main tenets was peace through power. Mm-hmm. And what that meant was the shadow side is they were, they said they were pr- promoting peace all over the world, but what they were really doing was executing anyone who disagreed with them and mass executions and mass genocide. And so that's when you basically start twisting and um, distorting and rationalizing your behavior, and then there becomes a shadow possession that's so great that it's actually the whole Roman Empire is a collective shadow, and then that's how they fell. That's how they fell, because they tried to to take over too much, and their peace through power did not work anymore. So kind of to sum this up... Carl Jung has a quote from this uh, book called On the Psychology of the Unconscious, The Eros Theory. It is under all circumstances an advantage to be in full possession of one's personality. Otherwise, the repressed elements will only crop up as a hindrance elsewhere, not just at some unimportant point, but at the very spot where we are most sensitive. If people can be educated to see the shadow side of their nature clearly, it may be hoped that they will also learn to understand and love their fellow men better. A little less hypocrisy, a little more self-knowledge can only have good results in respect for our neighbor, for we are all too prone to transfer to our fellows the injustice and violence we inflict upon our own natures. It's pretty good. 
It's a I like that. It's a, Carl Jung, uh, if you haven't read any of his books, they're really difficult to read. So <laughs> I actually recommend reading books that quote him, that try to explain a chapter of his book. Because I've been reading one of his books, um, The Alchemy of Psychology, recently, which is a collection of essays. And I it, it takes me like a week to read two pages. It's sort of like reading Finnegan's Wake. Yeah. So... Um, that's right. a good place to start if you haven't read much Jung. Yeah, I always go Robert Bly. We quoted a few times, and then we quoted this in our other podcast. There's a guy named Richard Rohr who's really great. He's a little more on the spiritual side overall. So if you want to have two people that talk a lot about Jung stuff, those are two people I go to. I think, haven't you referenced well, Hillman? Hillman, James Hillman, um, was one of Jung's apprentice apprentice. Uh, psycho- psychologist, and he talked a lot about how psychology could be used in society and why therapy should only be short-term, because yeah. we need to be taking psycho- psychology and therapy and putting it into the world to help make the world a better place. So James Hillman talks a lot about that. Um, Robert Johnson wrote a book called Inner Work, which is one of the easiest ways to kind of understand some of Jung's theories. Murray Stein, Ph.D., uh, has written a lot of things. Marion Woodman, if you're into uh, kind of a feminist lens, uh, she has a lot of interesting things to say um, about uh, kind of Jungian-related concepts. And I'm trying to think of the last... Oh, Marie von Fran- Maurice-Louise von France. Uh, her books are kind of technical and difficult because they're written in German and then translated over. Um, of course, Jung's books, where a lot of them are written in German, um, and he spoke like seven languages. Yeah. But uh, I, would, I would recommend uh, a great starter book, I think, is uh, Robert Bly wrote a book called uh, The Little Book of the Human Shadow, I believe is the name of it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's literally 81 pages, super simple, super easy read, um, a good thing. And as you can see by the fact that Paul and I were just quoting off book after book on the human shadow. It's a long process. There's no easy, like quick solution to figuring this out. It's a very complex thing. And so don't be discouraged if you start digging into the human shadow and you're like, it just never ends. It probably won't. You will probably go to your grave still trying to figure out some deep, dark, secret, hidden shadow areas for you. And so I actually just want to, if it's cool with you, I want to also read a Carl Jung quote. Um, so I think that this one's really true about uh, my work. Uh, he says, about a third of my cases are suffering from no clinically definable neurosis but from the senseless and emptiness of their lives. This can be find, defined as the general neurosis of our times. So, so many people come in to my office, at least, and they are like, there's no real clinical like thing. It's not like I'm like, oh, you have like massive anxiety. It's that you have massive, I don't know what's going on in my shadow. I don't really know what's hidden down underneath. And that's why I keep coming back to Go do the work. It's going to be a lifelong experience. Um, join us in it as we continue to uh, walk through our own shadow. And and just for the people out there that are going, oh my gosh, this is overwhelming. This literally could take you half an hour to an hour a week. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's it. We're not talking about an exercise program that you have to do this every day. I mean, some people do meditation every day. They do journaling every day. You don't have to do that. You, you have to have enough time to contemplate. So half an hour to an hour is probably good usually with talking to somebody else as part of the prompt, but um, it's not actually as difficult as you think. You just have to start with the simple part, which is, you know, getting some feedback from trusted people um, 
you know, writing down some of your goals that you want to work on and then just starting to actually try to accept feedback in a non-defensive manner. And that can be as easy as, hey, you know what? I'm really trying to improve myself. As a friend, what are some things that you see that um, you feel that I'm, you know, screwing up on or could do better or whatever? And now not every friend's going to be accurate, but at least you're starting to get a sample. And obviously, if you go to a trained professional uh, and you tell them what's going on, they're going to help you dig further into the unknown dark areas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'll kind of tell them where I'm can be found. Really yes. Quick. Why don't you, Adam? Um, so I am planning to on my website. I have a website called themanlycounselor.com. Um, I'm planning to over the next couple of weeks after this podcast comes out to release a series on the shadow just to kind of follow up, um, kind of dig into some deeper areas with that. And you can kind of give that a read. And then, um, other than that, you can find me on Instagram where I haven't been posting much recently, but, um, at the manly counselor, and then I can be found, um, at health for life, grand rapids working alongside Paul. All right, and I think that is a wrap. Thanks for being on the show, and this concludes part two of our series on men, and stay tuned, as I'm sure we'll have part three. Most definitely. have it. This has been another episode of the Intentional Clinician Podcast. If you've been enjoying it, please share it with people you know. I would surely appreciate it. And if you haven't already, subscribe or give us a rating on iTunes. Until next time, I'm wishing you all a safe and peaceful week. If you are looking for an Emdria consultant, I am now an Emdria consultant in training. And I can provide 15 of the 20 hours needed to become Emdria certified. I'm going to be starting an Emdria consultation group, both online and in person. It is looking more like October to December 2020. For details, check out counselingsupervisorgr.com or healthforlifegr.com or email me. The Michigan Mental Health Counselors Association is working to increase the availability of quality mental health services statewide, increasing education, promoting best practices, and working to keep licensed professional counselors and other professionals accessible by the public. They are currently working with the American Mental Health Counselors Association in attempting to get licensed professional counselors finally covered by Medicare, which would help a lot of people out there that are on Medicare right now and cannot see a counselor they can only see a psychologist or a social worker which means that people are not getting the care they need also we are working to integrate into schools and try to get more help out there i know a lot of people are talking about different ways to change the police department and get mental health um responders 
uh, to be going to the calls. And I think this is something we should be working on on a legislative uh, place to be able to help our communities by getting first responders who are mental health experts. The recording you just listened to consists of the personal opinions of Paul Krauss and his guest, and while these are based upon the literature they have read and their experience in the field, they should not be viewed as the definitive opinion on the subject. Listening to this podcast is not a substitute for treatment. If you are in crisis, please dial 911 or the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. Are you a young person of color feeling down, stressed, or overwhelmed? Text the word STEVE, S-T-E-V-E, to 741741. That's STEVE to 741741, and a live, trained crisis counselor will respond to you. If you are in need of counseling, do not hesitate to make an appointment with a local counselor in your area. You can also make an appointment with the excellent clinicians in the Grand Rapids, Michigan area at Health for Life Grand Rapids and the Trauma-Informed Counseling Center of Grand Rapids by visiting www.healthforlifegr.com or give us a call at 616-200-4433. Also... Thanks to the secure online platforms that we now have access to and the changes of insurance companies due to COVID-19, anyone in the state of Michigan can work with us online if they have a need and it works out. So you can also utilize your insurance or self-pay, whatever works for you. We'd be glad to help you. All right. Thanks for listening. Me. Oh